0: Then the angel continued, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to you to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. This vision contains a time yet to come. This is the word of the Lord found in the book of Daniel. Let's pray again. Oh God, as we turn our minds to this reading and we wrestle with the challenging times that we're in, we pray for insight and understanding into who you are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into with you in jesus name amen well once again we want to uh, welcome you here to our live stream we're glad that you're here and uh, well here online we're all in different places as you can see nick is there in his apartment i'm here at the in the Advent Hope worship space and although the Advent Hope worship space is now everywhere everywhere you are and uh, so we're glad that you've come and join us today. We are, as Nick mentioned, still figuring out the the tech and we are promising to keep working on this to get things better for you, but we're glad that, that you have come together here to worship with us. And so um, after the feedback from last week, I decided to uh, continue to talk about this issue of God's rules of engagement in relationship with how he interacts with us as humans. And uh, in fact, we'll, we'll continue this theme um, I think a relevant theme with all that we're dealing with right now uh, through next week. And as I mentioned last week, we have a special guest joining us, Dr. John uh, Peckham, who is the author of a number of great books, but in particular, the book, The Theodicy of Love, which has been one of my favorite recent reads. And I find really helpful, especially in the context of things like we're dealing with now. And so the question that John is wrestling with in this book is, is, is the problem of evil and how a good God can exist in in evil times, and so that's really our question today. John will be with us to talk about that next week during this live stream. But uh, uh, today we want to wrestle also with where is God in times of a pandemic, and if God is good, why isn't He more active in relieving human suffering in times like this? And uh, and then why would God allow any of this if He is really all powerful? These are kind of the existential questions that come up. When humans face uh, suffering. And uh, I think these are questions that certainly are widespread and being wrestled with even now. And so uh, all these questions, though, remind us of a somewhat disturbing reality that is affirmed in the Bible itself. And that is that uh, God doesn't get everything even he wants. God doesn't get everything he wants. And we'll talk about uh, that specifically a little bit uh, more, but that leads to other questions like, well, how can this be? If God really is all powerful, how is it that he doesn't get what he uh, wants? And so uh, setting up the answer to that question, I think it's important to do a quick kind of survey of the cosmic narrative of the Bible. So in the cosmic narrative of the Bible, the universal narrative of the Bible. We have some important narrative of high points. First of all, we have uh, God creating uh, beings. Uh, Genesis chapter one and two talk about God creating uh, humans, the first human parents. About as you continue to read through the Bible, you'll see that there are other beings beyond just humans. Uh, angels specifically talked about. And so, uh, God is God creation. God has created these human beings for companionship. Out of love, Um, as a set of parents uh, or, or, or two people would come together as parents, create children. This is the imagery that God gives us, especially in referring to himself as a loving parent. And so he creates companions, humans, angels, other creations, also out of love. And that in order to exist in loving relationship with his creations, his kids, if you will, he has endowed each of us with a free will. That is the choice to continue to live in relationship with God himself or to go out on our own. This free will necessarily includes the capacity, of course, to choose to not be in relationship with God. And uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as found in uh, Genesis one through three is an important uh, illustration of that. So God, creates kids. He wants to have a relationship with them. He wants them to be his loving uh, companions, loving family. Uh, But in order to do that, you have to have the ability to to not be in relationship with God. And so God endows his creations with that. So as we continue surveying this cosmic narrative, and uh, if you were to read through the Bible, you would come to the point where you get a little bit of the backstory. So while Genesis 1 through 3 talk about the first humans. Realize that there are things that happened before their creation. So if you keep reading in the Bible, you get to uh, the character of Lucifer. Lucifer, a creation of, of God, again, one of God's kids. But he was the first uh, to exercise this free will that God endowed him with to choose against God, to choose to not live in loving relationship with God. And subsequently, he then convinced the first humans, our human parents on planet Earth, to do the same. To, to go their own way and in essence to, to choose uh, him as, as their as their leader, their prince, if you will. And this plunged the entire planet into a chaos with catastrophic changes to our nature as humans and the nature of earth itself. And so the Bible describes all of this as a war, war. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, we read this. Uh, There was war that broke out in heaven, heaven being the place that's not of this this earth. Uh, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray? He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now, this uh, this idea of war has some implications that we need to discuss, especially in our our current context. That I think help to enlighten us regarding those initial questions about God's power, about His existence, actually because some people have just given up on the idea that God exists because these questions of how God can be good and all powerful God can be good. And yet the world's so bad. So this is related to God's existence and certainly to uh, his justice. So as we explore the problem, uh, there are uh, a couple of things that kind of jump out to us as we we think about this uh, narrative. Uh, First of all, this idea of war, that uh, there is a war going on, and it's not just a war of of power. In fact, it's not a war of power at all. This is a war of ideas. Uh, Satan, or the Satan, which is the accuser, uh, the first to exercise his free will against God, uh, made accusations about God, specifically about God's uh, justice. And this is found... In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, particularly, when when, um, he's in dialogue with Eve, the first woman, and uh, the accuser says, uh, You won't certainly die, contradicting uh, God's claim. You will not certainly die when you touch the tree, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The implication is that you know, God is not just, that he's holding something back from you and uh, that if you, if you go your own way, if you choose your own thing, then uh, you're going to find out what true justice is really about. And so this is, is the story. And now a monumental show of power isn't what wins hearts and minds back and convinces uh, someone of love or of justice. Um, if God is love, as the Bible asserts, you can't prove that you are loving through acts of uh, power. I mean, if I if I could have convinced uh, the woman who was to become my wife that I am or was loving and worthy of, of marriage through acts of power, our dating experience would have been very different than it actually was. I I probably would have spent more time in the in the gym. Um, you know, that's that's not how I, I, I proved my love for my wife was through power, acts of power, because that's not how love works. Love isn't proven by power. And so God is in this war of ideas and Satan has accused God of being unjust. And the only way to di- disprove this accusation is by uh, being just, even in the face of injustice, uh, by putting love at the forefront but this means that God will then have to limit his use of his own power because power will not prove justice and it will not prove love. Uh, In fact, in the broken world in which we now exist, the most powerful people are often the most unjust. Of course, that that is not for everyone, but it's not uncommon to have powerful people Acting unjustly, and so God, God acts by these these rules of engagement that uh, we'll talk about by limiting His use of His own uh, power. Now, uh, Satan has claimed planet Earth as His own uh, territory. So once uh, Adam and Eve went along with this this idea that uh, they could go on their own, in essence, uh, Satan took over the, the rulership, if you will, of this world. In Job chapter 2, we see this uh, indicated by the fact that uh, when God calls the representatives from, from all of the planets, as apparently happens, uh, and Job 2 is one of those like an unbelievable passages in the Bible where we kind of have the uh, the heavens opened up and we get to see behind the, the curtain what's going on uh, beyond Uh, Our human capability. And we see that uh, Satan appears, the Satan appears, the accuser appears, but this time as a representative in the heavenly assembly on behalf of earth. And so uh, Satan is representing earth. Apparently that that becomes his uh, role. And then uh, Jesus in the book of John several times actually continually refers to Satan as the prince of this world. And so uh, God has apparently given Satan permission to temporarily operate in this capacity. And this is where we start to see the hint of, again, some of the rules of God's engagement with us uh, coming to play. God limits the use of his power in this war. And uh, so this actually brings us to our text of emphasis today, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through uh, 14. And so in in our text of emphasis, we see Again, a heavenly being, another uh, creation of God who is interacting with this human, uh, Daniel. And so uh, Daniel had been praying and this this messenger is sent from God to come to Daniel. And and we're told that uh, the, the, the messenger says this, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. So the idea is that Daniel was like calling out to God. He was, he was praying to God. He was asking for understanding. And so God sends him a heavenly messenger. But verse 13, somewhat disturbingly explains a little further what happened. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So here you have this messenger from God. God sends a messenger. And to go to Daniel, because Daniel has been praying. But the messenger runs into some trouble. The prince of the Persian kingdom resists him for 21 days. And then the the, the angel says that Michael, one of the the archangels, one of the chief princes, had to come to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. So there's this urgent message. the, The picture is Daniel prays, and he's calling out to God god sends a messenger but the messenger is detained by this prince of the persian kingdom now most bible scholars would say that this prince of the persian kingdom is an allusion to again that that accuser the satan or or at least one of his one of his cohorts and so we see god having a message god sending his messenger but the messenger is detained which is mind-blowing thinking that this messenger is coming from an all-powerful God but we see here this is one of those cases where God does not exercise his full power to get this messenger through i mean you would have you would have thought the messenger would come through with the uh, lightning bolts blazing and nobody is stopping him and yet the satan is able to to hold him back and to 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 resist the messenger from coming so much so that Michael that God has to send back up. Michael comes, the chief prince, and he comes to to break up this uh, this issue, this road roadblock. And so it's a it's a pretty disturbing scene. I mean, if God's messenger can be delayed, it means either God isn't powerful enough or God isn't using his full power. Now, now I would suggest to you that this is evidence again of this idea that God is operating with some. Rules of engagement for fighting this war, a war that is not a war about power, but is a war of ideas. Uh, the devil was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. God didn't destroy Satan and his angels. Again, rules of engagement. God limited his use of power. And so because God limits the use of his power, God doesn't get everything that he wants, which explains Uh, I think a lot about what's happening in our broken world. When you endow beings with free will, uh, it means necessarily you don't get everything that you want. Now I think nobody knows this fact better than human parents. Uh, Once your kids start growing up and start having the ability to think for themselves and start having autonomy, uh, which you want for them to have because you don't want them to have a relationship where you. you must control them indefinitely or at least you shouldn't want that if you're a healthy parent. But if 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 that happens and you're going to start granting your children autonomy or I should say when you grant your kids autonomy, all bets are off regarding how are they are going to use their free will. I mean, you can train and hope and pray for the best, but the truth is once uh, once your children get to the point where they are exercising their own free will, all bets are off on exactly how they're going to use that. And so you as a parent may really wish that you get more affection from your children or you wish that they would call you more often when they get to that point where they're no longer living with you. You may wish that they did numerous other things uh, for you, but those aren't guaranteed unless you limit the free will. But if you limit the free will, the relationship dynamic completely completely change Um, if they didn't have the choice to do uh what they want to do if you were controlling them it would completely alter the kind of relationship that you would have with your children and that god would have with us and so god has created us uh, with this free will now listen i mean if god just wanted uh more beings to be around him he just could have uh, created a bunch of robots or 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 other or beings that had no ability to to do on their do, do what they wanted on their own, but that's not what God did. God doesn't just want the companionship uh, of of robots. He he wants the companionship of of people who are able to think and act and choose Him on their own. Do um, you remember that movie uh, Castaway? Old school movie, Tom Hanks, the classic Tom Hanks. Uh, if you remember the story, he uh, crash lands on a deserted island out in the ocean, and he's by himself. And the only option for companionship are these inanimate objects that he he shifts and makes into to friends. Famously, the volleyball that he puts a face on and refers to as, as Wilson. And so he imagined these objects as his friends. Uh, But ultimately, he had ultimate control of them. He moved them around where he wanted them in his space. He talked for them. He communicated for them. But ultimately, their presence was unsatisfying. And when rescue was offered, he gave up his attachments uh, for that which he could control for the messy and sometimes heartbreaking relationships with real free will endowed humans. Uh, He even returns home. And this is a spoiler, so I'm sorry if you haven't watched Castaway. Although you did have like two decades, because that movie is pretty, pretty old. But if you're really longing to see that movie and not uh, and not have it spoiled, now would be a time to put me on mute. But uh, here we go. So he gives up the attachments to his non-free uh, will volleyball uh, for the for the free will attachments, the messy free will attachments. And so when he gets home. The woman who he's been hoping and longing to see again has, of course, married someone else because everyone thought he was dead. And so this is the heart rate, heartbreaking reality of being in relationship with people who have free will is that they make choices that are painful and sometimes uh, hurt themselves and hurt uh, others. And so uh, Tom Hanks had to reconcile with the fact that uh, the woman that he loved had made a totally understandable choice to marry someone else thinking he was gone. But that's the messiness of being in relationship with people who have free will and who we don't have control over. And God, just like us, values that immensely. In fact, uh, God was willing to risk the hurt and pain and heartache of existing along with free will endowed creatures because it's the only way to have love. And the Bible says that God is love. God is love, and he knows what it takes to have love, and you have to have choice to have love. So God, despite his sovereignty, doesn't always get what he wants because power alone is not what God is about, and it certainly doesn't nurture Love. Now, there are some, if you're still questioning this idea that God doesn't get what always get what he, he wants, a couple of texts for you. So, how about Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37? And this is the picture of Jesus, the story, the narrative of Jesus as he's approaching the city of Jerusalem for the last time before his death, on the week before his his death. And he looks down on the city, as we can imagine. And he says this, this is Matthew 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent who are sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under the wings, and yet you were not willing. So here Jesus is expressing a willingness, a desire for uh, for his people, and yet the people he acknowledges were not willing to, to, to do what he desired. Um, how about Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination, of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all of the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. What an incredible picture of the God of the universe, the sovereign God, the all-powerful God of the universe who is brokenhearted over the fact that his kids have chosen against him so much so that verse six says, God regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. This is the picture of a God who doesn't always get what he wants. How about Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23? Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, God asks. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. God is sovereign, but just because he's sovereign doesn't mean he gets everything we want. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? How could it be any more clear? God, the sovereign God of the universe, because he has endowed his creatures with free will, sometimes he doesn't get what he wants. He wants to see everyone in relationship with him, in healthy relationship with him, in healthy relationship with each other. But when you endow free will, and when there's a broken world in the universe, God doesn't always get what he wants. And then we see that because of this, and because of this nature of what's going on, that there is a war going on on planet Earth. There are casualties in this war uh, because of this. Uh, these rules of engagement. Jesus had to suffer. In in um, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, this is a book by by famed British author C. S. Lewis, classic uh, kids. Book, but Allegory of the Christian Story. Um, C.S. Lewis describes these rules of engagement that we've been talking about as deep magic of the Emperor Beyond the Sea. In fact, um, after you read The Odyssey of Love as as some of your quarantine reading, if you've got some free time on the the, the comfy uh, sofa or chair, then you can go back and read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And in chapter 13, this Interaction between the White Witch and Aslan, the, the Jesus figure of *Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe*. They come together and to discuss what's going to happen uh, because one of the children in the story is the disobedience. So there's a, a the, one of the cho- children choose uh, uh, against what is good, and so Aslan steps in as a sacrifice to basically replace the punishment for one of the children, and and this agreement this this rule these rules of engagement are described by lewis as this deep magic of the emperor beyond the sea lewis Aslan was a representative of a representation of jesus and in romans chapter 6 23 we're reminded of what happened but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of god the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the the good news of Romans, and the good news of the gospel is that even though we live in a broken world, and even though the all-powerful God is restraining him himself, is not using all of His power because of the rules of engagement, and because He honors free will, and because His 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 name has been s- smeared by the accuser, accusing Him of not being just the only way. Of proving his justice is by being just and by being loving, and so he sent Jesus. Lewis, in his other great book, uh, he has many great books, but one of his other book books, uh, *Mere Christianity*, he describes Jesus' interaction and Jesus showing up in the picture of the story of the Bible as one coming behind enemy lines. Now, Lewis wrote during the midst of World War II, and so the illustration meant a lot the people that he was talking about, the idea of God going behind enemy lines, back to this war metaphor, that Jesus entered behind enemy lines and established a new kingdom, a a kingdom that wouldn't come to full fulfillment until Jesus returned again, but a kingdom that starts by growing in the hearts and minds of those who want to see justice reign and love established again. And so we're reminded again of this idea in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, God's kids, since God's kids have flesh and blood, God too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, the accuser. And so Jesus comes in behind enemy lines. He lives a life. He teaches. He establishes his kingdom. And then he suffers and dies on our our behalf. And In doing this, he gives us hope for a new future that God has been restraining his power. But in Jesus, his power is fulfilled. And in fact, justice is shown to be what it is. God being a God of justice, a God of love, a God who's willing to do anything to get his kids back into relationship with him. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news. And so there is a war going on, and all of us are in enemy territory. This is why the world is a mess, and the world has had its ups and downs. But the, the truth is, times of har- are hard, and times have been hard in the past, and they're going to be hard in the uh, future. And that's because we live in a war zone. That's what happens when you live in a war zone. There are tough times, but God has established his kingdom and that kingdom is uh, growing. And someday it's going to be made uh, complete. And and the the mess that is this world is going to be made right again. But until then, we have the hope that as we embrace the good work of Jesus, we can have transformation and we can experience hope and we can experience love and we can experience joy and we can know what justice is even though all things are not yet made what they are going to be made. So God has been... Intimately and profoundly affected by this war himself. In fact, he suffered as a casualty of the war uh, when Jesus died. Uh, But God Himself has felt the personal sting of the suffering, the the suffering that many of us are feeling right now, and the apprehension and 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 the 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 sense of of what's happening and out of controlness. But but God has a plan to make things new. And so, what wasn't immediately clear. To the enemy, the Satan was that Jesus' death wasn't the glorious conclusion that he might have anticipated. But re- rather, by Jesus dying, it proved the injustice of Satan's system and the justice of God's system. and Therefore, set up the end scenario in which God does make all things new. And so again, as we embrace the work of Jesus... Jesus is able to give us peace in our hearts that although now we exist in enemy territory, things are not always going to be this way. God has a plan. God's kingdom has been established on planet Earth, an incursion behind enemy lines. God has a plan for a full-on invasion of Earth where his power will no longer be restrained because his commitment to humanity will be overwhelming and be deemed as ultimately just. And so we wait, we wait in this, we wait while God is still operating under these rules of engagement, rules that we're going to talk about more uh, next week. But today we can live with hope that justice will reign in the universe, that God is not going to allow human suffering to exist forever, that he is not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to to. Redemption, and that the good news of Revelation chapter twenty one is soon to be fulfilled. That God will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. but God is going to wipe away the old order, wipe away the war torn world, and make all things new. This is the good news. Now, in the meantime, in the meantime, what do we do? How do we like uh, connect with this? this God who's restraining his His power. And, uh, you know, a lot of us have been spending a lot of time in in prayer. You know, there have been those of us who have loved ones who have been affected by uh, COVID. We have Advent Hopers, and we're glad to hear that uh, some of those Advent Hopers are, are doing a lot better who have been affected by by uh, COVID. We have people we care about who are on the front lines in the healthcare industry who are, are working to Help those who are hurting. And so what do we do? How do we connect? Recognizing that God doesn't use his full power yet, that that, that God restrains himself. How do we connect with God's power? Well, this, this comes back to what a lot of us are already doing, and that is praying. You know, prayer is a powerful thing. In fact, we're told that prayer permits God to act in ways in which he would not otherwise act because he limits himself and his use of power to protect our free will. But when we pray, we invite God to be engaged with our experience. And this allows God to act in ways he wouldn't act before. Because, again, he protects free will. And so we've been praying. And we're going to continue to pray for our city, for those who are on the front lines of this of this COVID virus. We're going to pray, though, not just for what's happening uh, now. We're going to pray for this broken world. We're going to pray for those people that we want to see uh, come to a better understanding of who God is and what God is calling us into in relationship with him. And so prayer is an effective tool that we have in calling on God in times of, of suffering. And so now as a people, we're going to pray. In fact, this afternoon at uh, at 1245, you can probably jump on at 1230. 1245, our prayer team is going to host a prayer gathering as they do every Sabbath. And uh, this quarantine is not stopped that because of zoom and so you can go to avonhope.org and jump on and join that uh prayer zoom at 12 30. but prayer is powerful and it permits god to exercise his power on our uh, behalf and for god to do things that he wouldn't do because he restrains himself and so we're going to be continue to be uh, praying and so now the, the hope is that as god does for us what we can't do for ourselves that we can have a hope that again although the world is a mess and it's war torn, uh, we have hope for the future. And so, as we close, I just want to remind you of the great words of, of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 that I think help us as we wrestle with God, the all powerful God, restraining himself, not intervening in all or even many of the situations in which we have to deal with, but having hope that someday things are going to be different. And so, this is a Paul wrestling with the same idea. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who, he, who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor the depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We know this, God, in times of suffering. May he give us peace in all things. Amen.